This is Cover 2, a podcast on the Cleveland Browns. Hit! Browns are going to win! Mayfield, end zone, Landry, touchdown! With Dan Kadar and Browns beat writer Nate Ulrich of the Akron Beacon Journal and Ohio.com. With Steve Dorshuk from the Canton Repository. Hey there, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Dan Kadar, and I'll be joined, as always, by Browns beat writer Nate Ulrich. And by the way, you can find all of his work over at BeaconJournal.com slash sports slash Browns as the football team heads into the final two games of a tumultuous season, we'll call it. Uh, There's a lot of great coverage up on the site, so check that out. And also make sure you check out our friends over at USA Today Sports Plus. It's our new app from our partners at USA Today. It has a different look at sports. So that's USA Today Sports Plus. You can download it on the Apple Store and the Google Play Store. Uh, They're doing a lot of fun stuff. And that will continue even well after football season is over. So check them out, USA Today Sports Plus. Thanks very much uh, for listening to my little weekly plug we do here on the podcast for it. And if you've checked it out, let me know what you think. But we're here to talk Browns. There, there are two games left in the regular season. Uh, somehow the Browns, who are 7-8, and eight, can still make the playoffs. They need quite a bit of help at this point, though. They basically, this is the scenario, they need the Bengals to lose out two games. The Browns need to win their final two games, and they need the Baltimore Ravens to lose one game. If all of that happens, the Browns will uh, improbably be in the playoffs. Uh, it's, a, it's a long shot. Uh, so that, that's where the Browns stand right now. And of course, Baker Mayfield is back off the COVID list. He's back off a game of four interceptions. So we're going to talk to Nate about that a little bit. We're going to talk about the offensive line a little bit. Um, The defense, which has been playing lights out for the majority of the season now. And we're going to look ahead to the Pittsburgh game. We may even talk about John Madden a little bit. We'll see how long we go with everything else. But Nate, I, I have to get your perspective now because we've done these kind of, you know, temperature check kind of sessions throughout the year on Baker Mayfield because it was the overwhelmingly biggest story going into the year of what do you do with Baker Mayfield? Is he worth one of these big, huge quarterback contracts? And is he the quarterback of the future for the Browns? So before the season ends, I wanted to do another one of these kind of just where I get your feeling on where Baker Mayfield stands in the grand scheme of the Cleveland Browns. And we'll, we'll do this again after the season, obviously, but he's hurt playing through it. He's playing poorly through it at times, really poorly through it at times. What, what is your, what is your feeling right now on where Baker Mayfield stands with this organization moving forward? My feeling right now, Dan, is that this has been such a disastrous season for him with the injuries, with the poor play, 
um, you know, with COVID-19, with Odell Beckham Jr. forcing his way out of Cleveland, um, a lot of stuff going on there and a lot of it affecting Baker Mayfield that, you know, I just don't think that there's any way you can say that he's going to definitely be the unquestioned, undisputed starting quarterback next season. They have him under contract for $18.858 million, I believe, 18 and change, almost $19 million guaranteed via the fifth-year option that Andrew Barry, as general manager, exercised in April. So the commitment is there, but, you know, I think that I've – Stated this before here, but I don't know if I have, so I'm just going to go through it again. I just think that it can't be status quo with the position. So if you draft somebody, you know, whatever that quarterback class looks like, I know it's not supposed to be impressive, but, you know, if you draft somebody second, third round, or you sign somebody um, who can, you know, be – You know, a fallback option um, if next season or next training camp were to be alarming the way this season was with Baker Mayfield. um, I think that that's the route that the Browns would have to go at bare minimum. So, like, I just think you're going to have some movement at the position. You're going to not just have, you know, Baker Mayfield come in, be the clear number one guy that there would be somebody, even if Baker Mayfield is, is your week one starter, somebody who who gives you an option, you know, beyond like a, a Case Keenum has this season, who's just, you know, your veteran backup, um, who knows the system and the, co- and the head coach very well, who can come in and, and help you win a game like he did against the Denver Broncos on Thursday night football when Mayfield was out with a shoulder injury. Uh, I think it's going to be, um, you know, a stronger, you know, option, a guy who you could turn to uh, as your starter, um, you know, for whatever X amount of games, maybe even the majority of the season, if it doesn't go well with Baker. I think there's there's, um, you know, a, a strong likelihood that that's going to be the bare minimum movement at the position. Now, the other end of the spectrum is that they get a clear-cut upgrade and trade Baker, right? And that's where you hear about the big names, Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson, uh, you know, that would be provided that his legal troubles um, are are basically not an obstacle for the organization, that he's cleared Mm -hmm. of wrongdoing and they can – um, you know, consider him a viable option as a result. We don't know if that'll happen. Uh, a big TBD there. Uh, the other one you hear about is Russell Wilson, you know, Derek Carr. And what does that look like with the Raiders? You know, um, so if it's something like that, then I don't think Baker Mayfield sticks around, but I don't think that that's the likeliest route. I think the the 
the bare minimum option of bringing in a, a plan B to kind of give yourself some insurance, see how things go with Baker. Um, I think that's the more likely route because of all the extenuating circumstances. Um, you know, here's a guy who you did have some success with last season and he, and he, you won a playoff game in Pittsburgh with him. He really did get hot in the second half of the season under Kevin Stefanski and in this system. And, you know, played well and, and and just haven't seen that consistently with him and especially not this year. Um, but those circumstances I spoke about earlier with the injuries and, you know, the harness that he's wearing on the on the left side of his upper body to pr- protect that shoulder from, uh, you know, re- repeated uh, dislocation and, you know, the, the issues in the receiving core and uh, with Odell obviously being the headliner there you know, just fleeing Cleveland, um, forcing his way out, forcing that divorce, you know, and then Baker, you know, he's challenged by Andrew Barry with five games left at the bye week to play his best ball, like basically begging Baker to come through here and kind of salvage this disappointing season for himself and for the franchise. And, you know, he plays a little bit better than he had been playing. Um, they beat the Ravens 24, 22, but, you know, it wasn't a lights-out performance by him or anything like that. Just okay. And then he gets COVID. He misses the Raiders game. He doesn't practice for two weeks, but is activa- activated in time for the Packers game on Christmas Day. Comes in basically uh, just totally cold. Um, literally flies to Green Bay the morning of the game and then throws a career-high four interceptions. I mean, you can't make this stuff up, Dan. It's a, It's been... It's been a train wreck for Baker, uh, you know, and that's why I think that where I sit and look at this, I think there's definitely something that's got to be done in the quarterback position because with all the talent you have on this team, you cannot just waste a season. And this has been a big disappointing underachieving one thus far. Uh, you got to do something uh, to help yourself a quarterback no matter what happens with Baker. But I do think that the the likely scenario still involves Baker for next season and see what happens. Um, having said all that, Dan, like as much of a uh, just failure to meet expectations that Baker's had and the Browns have had this season, think about this. Like, you know how bad – it was in Green Bay on Christmas. He had the three interceptions. Aaron Rodgers threw a touchdown pass after each one. It was just it was a it was a really horrible performance by Baker. But with a minute left, <laughs> they got the ball at the 50 yard line, and he has a chance to erase it all. He has a chance to totally redeem himself and pull off a huge upset. Obviously, that did not happen. He threw the game clinching interception for, for four picks on the day. But I kind of look at that game as a microcosm of Baker Mayfield's season and as of the Browns' season and where they sit right now. They're seven and eight. It has not been anything like the team, like Baker expected. They thought that they would have clinched a playoff spot by now. That they, you know, that they would be one of the better teams in the NFL. They thought they had the talent uh, to do that. They thought they had the continuity to do that coaching staff to do that well 
it hasn't gone that way. But with two games left, they're basically at the 50-yard line with a minute to go and a chance to totally redeem themselves. Okay? They need help. Like you said, Dan. But if the Bengals lose to the Chiefs and the Ravens lose to the Rams, both games are 1 p.m. Sunday, the Browns are going to be on the bus uh, on, on their way to Pittsburgh um, during those games. And if they arrive in Pittsburgh with the Ravens and the Bengals losing those games, the Browns Monday night know they're going – well, they'll know by Sunday – late afternoon Sunday, they'll know that on Monday night, with a win over the Steelers, they will set up an AFC North championship game for the finale January 9th against the Bengals in Cleveland. I mean, so as as much as everything's gone wrong, just like they had a chance at the end to pull it out and, and, and erase a lot of the bad in Green Bay, they very well could have that chance Monday night in Pittsburgh when it comes to the full season and big picture of the Browns and Baker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they very much could. We'll get to that game a little bit later, but everything you just said kind of illustrates how extremely bizarre of a season this has been, and particularly with everything around going on around Baker Mayfield and that's not even mentioning the amount of games they've lost by less than a touchdown. What is it? Six games that they've lost by six points or less. So, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a very deeply weird season. Let me, let me go back on something you said about what the Browns uh, could do a quarterback. And that is bringing in viable, uh, another viable quarterback, not, not a case Keenum type of quarterback, by the way, Probably not a Nick Mullins type of quarterback, even though he looked good when he did he did play. That he's a backup, just like Case Keenum's a backup. But how do you think Baker Mayfield would react to basically competition being brought in? I mean, he's he is clearly a a very emotional guy. Uh, he seems to be always always at sixty miles an hour, no matter what. Always pumped up always has a chip on his shoulder. Um, There's a lot there with him emotionally, I think. How do you think he would react to competition being brought in? Well, I don't know, Dan, because I'd like to say that he would react well to it, but he has not reacted well to this contract situation. In terms of performance, you know, I, I just think that I think there's evidence that suggests that whatever the pressure of playing for the contract extension this year has been a factor for him. Um, you know, obviously we know the injuries have been, but I, you know, I, I do not think that playing for a contract year has, uh, has been something that he's reacted well to. I, I just don't, I don't think that, if Baker Mayfield had been under contract and this whole thing like wasn't hanging over everybody's head, like I don't think that he leaves the stadium after a win. After a win. I can't emphasize that enough without doing a post-game news conference. And that's what he did 
after their week 11 victory against the Lions. I think that's a sign that, you know, it, it's not just frustrated with the poor, poor individual performance, not just frustrated with the injuries, but like, you know, the big picture, the pressure, you know, of playing for a contract extension, frustration with all of that not painting out the way he's hoped it would, the way the Browns hoped it would. So that's my amateur psychologist view of of that. <laughs> and I think that, you know, on one hand, when they signed Case Keenum, there was some of that, like, hey, Stefanski has a history with Keenum, went to the NFC Championship game together. Keenum had his best season by far with Stefanski in Minnesota. Uh, you know, when Stefanski was his position coach, and it's like, is Keenum here to to push Baker a little bit more than, you know, the Browns are letting on, or, you know, they're a little bit competition there. The way it panned out, you know, really, the answer was no, but I do think that there was a little bit of a reminder to Baker, like, hey, you know, Case Keenum is an upgrade as a backup over Drew Stanton, and you can't totally flop here. This guy can, you know, come in and, you know, start a bunch of games and has had success with the head coach. So, you know, I do think he responded well to that, and that was last year. Um, so that that's you know, if you if you would undergo like pros and cons of bringing in competition and how he would react. I think you'd say that that situation you would point to is uh, a point in Baker's favor. But the NFL's what have you done for me lately? And lately we're talking about the 2021 season and how nothing has gone right for him. So I have a hard time thinking he would react well. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel, too, though. The Case Keenum point is a good one. But this was just really just a temperature check at this exact point in Baker Mayfield's career. If he goes out and plays hero ball the next two games, the Browns make the playoffs and he wins another playoff game, you know, we're probably we might have a different feeling about it. But we'll see then. I just wanted to kind of get where you are at now with Baker Mayfield because it's it's ever evolving and yeah. as, as as Baker Mayfield said on Instagram this week, far from finished. So, yeah, uh, there, I mean, there's that. It is. He's got he's at the 50. He's at the proverbial 50 yard line again with a minute left. How is he going to throw that interception and finish this season? In fitting fashion for what a dud it's been. Or is he going to pull something out of you know where and go on it? Two-game winning streak. They get back in the playoffs. Maybe he wins another game. You know what I mean? If he, mm-hmm. I mean, if he wins the next three games, that, that would mean they get back to the playoffs and win a wild card game or win a, I'm sorry, a first-round game. Like, um, yeah. Well, given his <laughs> the conversation's going to change. The conversation's yeah, going to change in that scenario. Given his track record in fourth quarters this season. Um, good luck. Our, our colleague Marla Ridenauer has an incredible column up about that that she wrote after the last game. 
And uh, to me, it's one of the best pieces of football writing I've read all year. So, again, all that's over at beaconjournal.com slash sports slash Browns. We'll, we'll see on Baker yeah. Mayfield. We'll, we'll pick that back up in at least two weeks, maybe more. But un- until then, uh, somehow the, the jury is still out. So, Nate, let's move on. I, I know we're, we're guilty as, as everybody who talks about football is talking quarterback too much. So let's talk offensive line. Um, they're getting Jed Wills back from the COVID list. We missed two games. And I think it, maybe it was you who asked Kevin Stefanski or another reporter, I can't recall, but it was, is there any consideration to playing Joel Batonio at left tackle still, putting Jed Wills at right tackle because that's where he played in college and and have that be your your bookends right there for, for the next two games? Um, Kevin Stefanski shot that down quickly, and that, that kind of surprised me. Well, what's your take on on these the, the tackle spot do you think Batonio should stay at left tackle and put wills at right um what, what's your take on that my take is like hey their backs are against the wall you just gotta find a way to get it done and if it takes some creativity then so be it like you were forced into this situation by a COVID-19 outbreak I get it. I mean, they were with that 22 guys against the Raiders and 15 guys against the Packers. So this was by necessity that Joel Batonio played left tackle for the first time in his career. But guess what? He played really well. I mean, I asked Stefanski about it, and I asked Bob Wiley, former Browns offensive line coach who watched those games closely with Batonio. Well, he watched the Raiders. I talked to him after the Raiders game. He watched every snap. And both of them praise Betonio. Pro Football Focus and its grading praise Betonio like some of the best left tackle play in the league the last couple of games. And I'm just thinking like maybe you just you just found some. Not that he would, you know, he's a four-time Pro Bowl left guard. You signed the contract extension. Like I'm not saying this is a permanent solution. But with the issues you have at right tackle, because your all-pro Jack Conklin is out for the season with the ruptured patellar tendon that he suffered in the first game against the Ravens, November 28th, you're clearly, you know, shaky over there. You got a rookie fourth-round pick, James Hudson, who who started there uh, before he went on the COVID list, supplanted Blake Hance as the main backup at that position to Jack Conklin. But then, you know, you did have Hudson back for Green Bay and and they they stayed with Hans. So it's like, okay, so either you got either Hans or Hudson over there going in Monday night against the Steelers. And there are so many good snaps to watch in the last season and in the first Steelers-Browns meeting um, this year between T.J. Watt and Jack Conklin. But, I mean, what a great matchup, right? Two great players. But now you either have Blake Hance or James Hudson there instead of Jack Conklin. Not a great matchup for the Browns. And you happen to have 
your 10th overall pick in last year's draft, who, you know, I understand he's not had the season at left tackle you want, um, but dealt with a bunch of ankle injuries early on, as we know. He was always a right tackle um, in high school and at the University of Alabama. Then you draft him, you move him to left tackle. The point is, Jedrick Quills has a lot of right tackle in his background. So, Betonio's playing really well on the left. I, I just thought it was worth a worthwhile idea. But Stefanski did shoot it down right away. He said that Wills is going to play left tackle when he's healthy. But, you know, so that means that they're going to have Wills back at left tackle. Betonio goes back to left guard. J.C. Treader missed the Packers game. Nick Harris filled in. Treader uh, went on the COVID list. Um, should be back for the Steelers game. And then right guard Wyatt Teller is back. He uh, he was also one of the guys who was on the COVID list, but he's he's back and was back for the Packers. And then you'll have that either Hans Hudson at right tackle. So that's where it stands. the The idea was was rejected swiftly by Kevin Stefanski, <laughs> but you know, I just think. Backs against the wall. Maybe you found something there by accident as a result of the outbreak, but obviously the coaching staff doesn't agree. And yeah. you know, who am I to argue Bill Callahan? But I thought it was a worthwhile conversation. I No, I think it's a worthwhile question for sure. And it's a great point. I mean, Jed Wills has a ton of muscle memory playing, playing that direction. So... Can I ask you a big picture question off this? Of course. Do you think that Kevin Stefanski as a coach is at times too pragmatic for his own good in that to me, he sometimes gets set in, in his ways. And also I, I think at times he lacks spontaneous creativity when it comes to uh, how he's calling a game. Um, what What's your take on that? Is he too? Is he a little too set in his ways at times with with how he's running the the Cleveland Browns? So he's a young guy who's too old school, and <laughs> maybe yeah, yeah, maybe a little bit. I mean, yeah, he's got a gray beard. Yeah, I mean, this would be an example of it, I guess. Um, yeah, no, I totally, I'm picking up what you're putting down, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I think, I think. I think the answer to that in some instances um, points to yes. Um, you know, I don't know. I just think that it'll be interesting to see. I mean, another kind of another uh, way to, to test this is, you know, if they get Kareem Hunt back, you know, he did, he did, Finally dabble with that Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb coming out of the bye, putting them on the field at the same time. Mm-hmm. He had resisted that. He had resisted that. He wanted them to be the one-two punch to spell each other, to wear defenses down that way, instead of putting them on the field together at the same time and getting creative off that. We saw a little bit of it coming out of the bye, and Kareem got hurt. So we're going to see more of that. Um, you know, here's one that I would – I, I, I'm interested now. They opened up the offense a little bit 
you know, against the Packers, scored a little bit more than they had been despite the four interceptions. You know, Baker did have two touchdown passes, two, and they scored on the game's opening drive and Nick Chubb running it in. And the usage of the personnel was different. You know, they they played more three receiver sets. You know, you didn't you weren't married to that three tight end, you know, aka 13 personnel um like you have been so i'm wondering if we're gonna see a change up there in the last two games too or if he's gonna kind of go back to the bread and butter um you know he said it was you know matchup dependent and all that and i get it but you know it's it's weird right because they threw the four picks and that that throws everything off that clouds everything but the offense at the same time looked better than it had in weeks. Right. You know, I mean, I think, you know, where I'm going with this dance. Like they were moving mm-hmm. the ball, they were moving the ball. And then Baker was either making bad throws with horrible footwork or not on the same page with Jarvis Landry um, or not on the same page with Donovan Peoples Jones and officiating also hurting the Browns in the mix of those interceptions. So, you know, there's a combination of things, but they were moving the ball and, you know, that was interesting. So I think he has a chance here to show us that he's not just some guy who's too rigid and that he is willing to go with the flow a little bit more if it's working. So I'll be interested to see, but I do think in general and, with this specific offensive line question, I would answer yes to your question. Hmm. Uh, I have a really stupid one, actually, that just came to me while while we're talking about this. And it's not necessarily related, but it's kind of related. And it's certainly related to our first talking point about Baker Mayfield. If, if this is a huge if and we're playing hypotheticals and I, I know we we tend not to do that too much and it's kind of silly, but this offseason, if the Minnesota Vikings give the Browns a call and say, Hey, we'll trade you Kirk Cousins for Baker Mayfield, do you think the do you think Kevin Stefanski would want to do that? To give you some particulars, Kirk Cousins is also going into the final year of his contract next year. He's due to make $45 million, so he has a huge cap hit, um, like a, a huge, massive cap hit. But there, there is a lot of familiarity with Kevin Stefanski. Am I completely crazy thinking that that phone call could be made? And if it is, which side do you think Kevin Stefanski lies on at this point? I don't know about that. How's that left field? That, that's yeah, a great I mean, one, right? I, I don't know about that deal. Like, I don't know about the yeah. deal, but like the idea that he would like Kirk Cousins and could consider him an upgrade over Baker Mayfield, I, I buy that based on how this season has gone. So I don't, I think that's a way to answer your question without knowing about like, is it just fantasy football that like with the contracts involved and all that to say you could trade yeah. those guys for each other? Yeah. You know what I mean? I, but, like, just the yep. idea that Kirk Cousins, like, because to me, like, I would rather have Derek Carr. But 
Yes. Would Kevin Stefanski rather have Kirk Cousins over Baker Mayfield? Like, based on the way this season has gone, yeah, I I I would say I would lean toward yes on 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 the guess. Yeah, it look, and that that this is just a fun talking point. There's not, you know, for anybody listening, there's not a lot to take away from that. That just kind of came to me while we were talking, and I just happened to look and see Kirk Cousins has a year left on his deal as well. So it's just a it's just a different fun talking point, I think. And I haven't heard anybody mention that one yet. So basically, Nate, I just wanted to be the first to to bring that one up. So well, I mean, I've it, I've definitely. I've heard, I mean, you know, Kirk Cousins' name has been thrown around in Brown's quarterback mm. conversation because of the history of Stefanski and, you know, the yeah. idea that, you know, the Vikings might not be, uh, you know, married to him for a long time. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, here's the thing, like, with the way the, the Browns want to build this, and they've made it clear I mean, look what they did. They've extended Nick Chubb, mm-hmm. even Kareem Hunt on a shorter-term deal, but even Kareem Hunt the previous year. And two guards were among the best in all NFL, Joel Batonio and White Teller. They extended Miles Garrett. I'd be shocked if they don't extend Denzel Ward. He's earned a contract extension this year. Mm-hmm. Like, they're building it. The defense in the running game right now. And, you know, are they going to go out and sign $40 million plus quarterback? I don't know. It's tough. Yeah, that's that's tough. And and I thought Baker Mayfield heading into the season could become that guy. They thought he could become that guy. They hoped it would happen. He wanted to be here. And it has just gone sideways for all parties involved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I still think when you have the the nineteen basically nineteen million dollars guaranteed invested in him for next season, that there might be a little bit more of a trial period given the extenuating circumstances that we went through earlier. Yeah. That is a nice segue, though, for our next topic, talking about the defense. Um, so I, I don't know about you, but it sure looks like Denzel Ward uh, has earned a few extra dollars on his contract, especially the last month or so. He has been incredible. And a lot of times that is that can be hard to quantify. But if if you watch the game watch how much teams don't throw at him in some games. Um, he, he has been great. Miles Garrett has been the player that the Browns need him to be. Um, the, the defense, Nate, as a whole, has just been really good. You, you wrote a nice long feature on that today. And by the way, today for us is, is Wednesday. Yeah. Um, how... How would you explain how the Browns' defense is playing as well as it has? Is it just pure talent? Is it a scheme thing? Crappy opponents? What If someone said to you, explain the Browns' defense success to me, how would you explain it? 
Well, I'm going to throw out crappy opponents right now because they just got them playing Aaron Rodgers. Yep. And, yeah. you know, they gave up 24 points. And against Aaron Rodgers at Lambeau Field, Devontae Adams, that whole crew, that's a huge accomplishment, especially when you're throwing four interceptions. And let's just say three, right? Because the last one was the end of the game. But three that really affected the, the point totals for the Packers. And they scored off all three turnovers. That was it. But, I mean, really, they played very well. And the Packers ended the game with the ball. But on the previous three possessions, they punted. And the Browns stepped up in the second half. And, you know, obviously, the Packers were dealing with short fields on, on two of those three interceptions in the first half um, and capitalized on like you would expect what, maybe the best um, team in the NFL to do, certainly one of the best offenses and uh, quarterbacks. And that was it. But, yeah, they stepped up in the second half, and I'm like, you know, Joe Woods, I'm thinking – how he's been such a magnet for criticism and how if you take a step back and look at it, he's got this defense playing pretty well and they're not giving up many points lately. I mean, there are some outliers and it kind of skews the statistics, right? Because, um, you know, they, they, right. And, you know, they played, they played, uh, you know, if, like, for instance, the Patriots game, the Patriots game, 45, seven, you know, the Cardinals game, 37, 14, yeah. the, the, the Chargers game, 47, 42, you know, so there, there are definitely some games where they gave up a lot of points, but it hasn't happened. Really, it hasn't happened since the Patriots game, you know, and. You know, there are games between that Cardinals game and Patriots game where it didn't happen. So, I mean, they have been, uh, I think, holding up their end of the bargain for, for the majority of the season. And if if you were to kind of go through the numbers, the points allowed, and, you know, they're seventh in, in yards allowed per game. Um you know, if you were going to kind of, and I, I got all this stuff laid out in that story that you talked about, Dan, but, um, you know, there are definitely some improve, areas of improvement. They are not perfect. Joe Woods would, you know, I outlined what he wants, top five in, in several categories, and they're not there. So it's not like he's running around with his chest puffed out. But um, he does not deserve the extent of the criticism that he has received from major factions of the fan base this season. I mean, it just, there's just no way. I mean, he should not be fired as the defensive coordinator, of the Browns, given how they played for him this season. I mean, I, I think that would be a shame if the Browns mm-hmm. did that. And I do not expect Kevin Stefanski to do that. Um, so, I mean, they've limited opponents to 16 points, or fewer in eight of the past 13 games and six of the last nine games. So, 
you know, that that's the bottom line. When you go through all these stats, really it's about that. And, you know, and I think that Joe Woods des- deserves credit for it. And, um, you know, there are, there are areas where you're like, okay, like, okay, so they lost 16-14 to the Raiders. So I think that's an indictment on the offense, not the defense. But you can also say, well, they gave up the plays to Derek Carr to set up the game-winning field goal. It would have been nice if they stepped up. Well, yeah, and and that's in that story, too. I agree. But they've also made the plays to win the games at times, too, right? You know, um, Miles Garrett scores that touchdown against the Ravens. They win 24-22. They don't win without that. You know, um, there's the Denzel Ward stop. Uh, at the end, the game clinching tackle uh, for you know a turnover on downs to seal it. So there, you know, there have been stops, there have been clutch moments, there have been times the defense has stepped up in in the you know in crunch time in the in the big uh, you know pivotal point of the game. So I, I I do give them a lot of credit, and I think that you know they've had a couple of different things happen. One is they've had, in this COVID crisis especially, they've had some backups play well. MJ Stewart's like the poster child for that. Like, he's really stepped up, played a dual role of safety and nickelback for him. He hasn't been a starter all season. He played a lot of snaps in the opener because, if you remember, Ronnie Harrison got in a fight with the Chiefs assistant coach, and he only played five snaps. So MJ Stewart came in at safety. Has not played very much at all since then until the last two games and played almost all the snaps and played well. And then what you've had is what you kind of mentioned earlier, Dan. Like you've had your stars play like stars. Miles Garrett's pushing through a groin injury that he that he suffered um, in the fourth quarter against the Raiders. So he has not been healthy the last five quarters. He was not healthy against the Packers, but he played after not practicing all week. But he has been the player, as you said, you need. Um, 15 sacks in 15 games and game changing plays here and there. Uh, like we said, the, the recovery, the strip sack, the recovery, the 15 yard return for a touchdown against the Ravens and Denzel Ward has, has played really well and, and earned his second career pro bowl very well deserved. And I don't want to leave this guy out and he's, He's a guy who was mentioned by Mike Tomlin yesterday, along with Ward and Garrett. Mike Tomlin singled out Jeremiah Usakoromoa. Uh, he has really lived up to the hype as a rookie second-round pick. He's missed some time with injuries, obviously the high ankle sprain um, during the season. But, wow, he really moves uh, in a very, very – special way at that position and is able to make some real eye-opening plays as a result and so I think with those three guys kind of leading the way um, and John Johnson the third at times finding finding his way although it hasn't been the season he's wanted um, uh, as you know from an individual standpoint I think he has had some really good moments as well so I think you've gotten your backups to play well I think you've gotten your stars to be stars. And I think that overall, the bottom line is the defense has held up its end of the bargain. It has been a playoff 
caliber defense, a defense that you can win a division with. The other side of the ball has not, and that's why they're in the predicament they're in. Mm -hmm. Do you think that Joe Woods will get any consideration for a head coach elsewhere this offseason? I mean, they're – the Jaguars are open right now, for instance, and I, I think it's been re- eight names have been reported so far as interviewing for the Jacksonville job. Joe Woods is not one of them, and they are interviewing defensive head coaches, so it's not just they're they're going for an offensive guy after firing Urban Meyer. But you know, there, there's going to be other openings. You know, the Bears are are certainly going to be open, and who knows how many others. Do you think Joe Woods will get consideration for a head coaching job this offseason, or do you think it's still maybe a year early for that? It might be a year early, and one of the reasons why I think is because Miles Garrett is an NFL Defensive Player of the Year candidate, legitimate superstar. And I think what hurt Joe Woods is, and, and this come, this is like part of the fan base conversation too, like, he was getting a ton of criticism before Miles Garrett said what he said after the loss to the Patriots. But people around the league hear that and know that. And I think that put Joe Woods in a little bit of a tough spot, right? Because he can't get in a, you know, big brouhaha verbally with Miles Garrett and lose the locker room. He can't totally back down either. When, you know, he thinks that, you know, he talked to Miles and is kind of surprised that after the game, he said that there were no adjustments when he literally explained how he made adjustments at halftime and they came out and got a three and out in Foxborough. And that was a 45-7 loss and there wasn't much to hang your hat on. Joe was just like, well, we did change some things. We got a three and out right away. So it's like. It was a tough spot. It was a really tough spot because you have your face of the franchise criticizing the defensive coordinator. And I just think that there, you know, is a little bit of, uh, you know, proving uh, that Joe Woods had to kind of do after that and and that some of that may still linger in how he's viewed league-wide. And I I do want to say, though, that like I don't think that everybody understands unless you cover Miles Garrett or pay attention to Miles Garrett on a, on a day-to-day basis. But like he has totally come out of his shell, and like he's going to speak his mind no matter what. And that's calling out other guys on the defensive line like he did after the Houston game for not producing, not getting enough sacks or splash plays. Uh, when he's getting double teamed and chipped, um, that's calling out Joe Woods for what Miles thought were not enough in-game adjustments in the loss in New England. That's for challenging the entire coaching staff and everybody on the roster for not practicing uh, with enough attention to detail, sense of urgency, not focusing enough on the Friday before uh, the rematch with the Ravens coming out of the box. <laughs> so like these statements that he's made have like paid off for him. And like, he's backed him up with the play on the field. And obviously after he said what he said about the lack of focus, he went out and scored a touchdown <laughs> and set the franchise single season uh, sack record against the Ravens. So it's like, put your money where your mouth is. And miles has every time. 
So that's really helped. Um, but like Miles is speaking his mind. And so like I think it wasn't that he was really out to get Joe Woods as much as he's just not holding back. And Joe Woods just happened to get hit with some of that shrapnel this year. And so I do think that that is a factor in the Joe Woods discussion how in terms of how he is viewed by this fan base in Cleveland and league wide. But I think that the proof is in the pudding and this is an, a defense that got an upgrade in talent in the off season. And we all took note of it and it was overhauled and revamped by Andrew Barry. And I think as the season has unfolded, it has improved and Joe Woods has gotten these guys to come together play better and um like i said i think you know this defense has held up its end of the bargain and is a is a division championship worthy defense mm-hmm. yeah it's 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 been impressive to to watch and that's one of the things we talked about before the year how could they get this defense to kind of come together and and play as one and they have and they're getting some pieces back for the game against the Pittsburgh Steelers on Monday night uh, it's going to be a, a wild game especially depending on what happens on on Sunday with the Bengals and the Ravens uh, so there's a lot going into Monday night from a playoff perspective from a from a Browns perspective certainly this could be also be the last time Ben Roethlisberger plays against the Browns um, there, there's a there's a lot going into this game, Nate. What's kind of your your outlook on how this one could play out? These these are two teams that are pretty evenly matched. I I think they they score about the same amount of points per game and they allow about the same amount of points per game. They both have superstar pass rushers who are both in in the running for defensive player of the year. Um, they they. Both have good young running backs. Najee Harris for the Steelers has has really come up along, I think. Um, yeah, what what do you make of this game purely from a how they match up standpoint? Well, first of all, like depending on what happens Sunday, yeah, uh, it's going to be just a crazy electric atmosphere if things fall the way that not just the Browns need them to fall to keep to keep hope alive for the division title but the Steelers too the AFC North is so wild this year that right now all four teams have a shot at the title and if the Ravens and Bengals lose Sunday then it's just going to be such an electric atmosphere knowing that it's likely Big Ben's last game at Heinz Field and that it's on Monday night football and that the last time the Browns were in Pittsburgh they won the wild card game on January 10th I mean, there's just so much that goes into it. And, you know, if that possibility of the AFC North title is taken away, the Bengals beat the Chiefs. They win the division on Sunday. I mean, so if that's taken away, like the Browns and Steelers will have just such a small chance to make the playoffs as a wildcard team. Like right now, ESPN has the percentages for the Browns at 12.3% to win the North but just 0.5% chance to be a wild card team. So they're not dead. They're not mathematically out of it. You know, if the 
Um, Bengals clinched the North with a win against Kansas City, but it would take, you know, everything falling their way, the miracle of all miracles, to be a wild card team. Mm-hmm. And so Sunday just looms so large in this whole conversation. But if <laughs> if Sunday, if Sunday the Chiefs beat the Bengals, and especially if the if the also well, that, that's the the big one, right? That's the biggest one. But also, if the Rams beat the Ravens, then the Browns are guaranteed a shot to set up a winner-takes-all with a win in Pittsburgh. They would If they win in Pittsburgh, those two results Sunday pan out their way. A win in Pittsburgh would set up the winner-takes-all um, you know, against the Bengals in Cleveland in the finale. And the Browns knowing that they beat Cincinnati 41 to 16 and like the only game where they put it all together and like played complimentary football this season like they they have that win under their belt um you know from when was that week nine yeah November 7th so um you know it's just on it's just it'll be so electric with everything if, if it falls that way and and the Manning cast on top of it for the viewers on home at home, like Dan and I, like we've been talking for everybody listening, like long before we knew that the Manning cast was going to be featuring Brown Steelers on Monday night football, like how big a deal that would be. And also like how much work it would create on, on <laughs> our end, like, because they're going to say stuff and it's going to generate headlines. It's going to be interesting. Like, whatever they think about Baker or, you know, uh, they're related, you know, the, uh, <laughs> Peyton's relationship with Jimmy Haslam. How many times has he tried to get him to run the Browns? I mean, is Aaron Rodgers going to be a guest? Uh, I mean, could he be on there flirting with <laughs> Brown Steelers for, you know, whatever, another, another team. I mean, who Aaron Rodgers teased, uh, a potential Manning cast guest spot in January. So I do know from ESPN that the Manning cast is going to be done during a wild card game as well. So that would be the, those are the two possibilities. This is, it's, it's either going to, if Aaron Rodgers is going to do it, he's going to do it for Brown Steelers, or he's going to do it, um, you know, during a wild card game. So we'll see, but the bottom line is there's just, there's so much that could be at stake here. And I keep thinking like every, there seems to be this narrative that it's going to be so hard to beat the Steelers in, in what's expected to be Ben Roethlisberger's last game at Heinz Field. Like it's going to be so hard that, you know, like the Browns are just like, they're in big trouble because of that motivational factor that the Steelers will have going for them. But like the Browns just beat the Steelers on January 10th in Pittsburgh in what at the time many people thought could have been Big Ben's last game. And that didn't stop him from winning. Um, now, the snap going over Big Ben's head, you know, to open the game helped. Uh, and, and that's almost guaranteed not to happen again. But like, I, I just think that it's going to be a tight game. And I feel like. You're right, Dan, with the way these teams are built, with the way they uh, play, with the way this series has gone, especially in in recent years with the Browns getting better. It's like I just 
it's hard for me to envision the, the a sweep. And so I think I think I'm going to be picking the Browns in this one. Um, it's going to be a close one in in my prediction. And I don't have a final score, but I'm I'm going to pick the Browns. And you know, one thing that that throws a wrench in my argument of the Browns going into Pittsburgh and winning in January, I was there, but I was one of few people who were there. Right. Heinz Field was not rocking the way it will be Monday night because at that stage in the pandemic, it was like friends and family only. So it was like Mike Prefer's kids, some other people, <laughs> and that was about it. So like Renegade plays on Monday night, and it's going to be a totally different atmosphere than it was for the wildcard game. And that obviously is a pro in the, in, in the game of pros and cons. That's a pro for the Steelers. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the other thing that, that I don't think anybody has mentioned this, so I might be, just be pulling another one out of my rear end like I did with Kirk Cousins a bit ago. Joe Hayden. I mean, this is the last year of his contract. This could be the last game he plays against the Browns. Um, he, he had seven really good seasons in Cleveland after they took him in the first round. Then he, he went to Pittsburgh, and he's played fairly well there. Uh, he's kind of fallen off a little bit, but this could be Joe Hayden's last stand too if he plays. So the the there there's not going to be um, a shortage of of talking points and storylines and and whatever else coming out of this game. So it's going to be it's going to be a good one. I think I'm going to pick the Browns too. Um, I'm going to say 21-17 is what I'll do for a score. So I think it'll be a tight one either way. So. Um, Nate, hey, real can quick. I ask, yeah, oh, go sorry. ahead. Yeah. Oh, just real quick. Um, yeah, because that's one thing, but real quick Bengals, Chiefs, yeah, Rams, Ravens. Do you yeah. think those will go the Browns' way? Well, if if you believe Las Vegas, they will. The Chiefs uh, are a four point favorite, and the Rams are a three point favorite against the Bengals and Ravens, respectively. The, the the trouble for that for me, Nate, I got to tell you, the both of those games are home games for the Bengals and the Ravens. And the Bengals right now, I, I think they're playing really well, especially on offense. They, they, to me, can score with any team in the NFL at this point. So um, I haven't looked into the Chiefs too much to see, like, who on their team is on the COVID list and, and stuff like that. But... Man, I I think it's very possible the Browns are going to be playing for the division against Cincinnati in the final week of the season. Um, Which is yeah, crazy. That's what I'm going to, yeah, it's absolutely crazy. Like it's it's stunningly crazy, um, given given all the circumstances we've been talking about. So, yeah, what do you think? Do you think the do you think things will be decided in the division this weekend or no? Yeah, I think if I, man, I kind of, I have a a feeling that the Bengals might just end it Sunday. Um, Having said that, the Chiefs are on such a roll that it's hard to pick against them. So I think I, I think I, I'm keeping the door open for this Monday night football game 
between the Browns and Steelers to be as fascinating as I hope it will be because, man, that would be great for my job, and, and it's all about me, um, and I want it to be interesting. And <laughs> <laughs> so I, I guess I'll speak into existence. But here's the fascinating thing, Dan. Not yeah. only are the Browns going to be driving or on a bus ride riding, riding on a bus riding to Pittsburgh when those games are going on and keeping track of them on their phones and stuff that Joel Batonio talked about. He said he's going to text Austin Corbett, former Browns draft pick, who's the starting right guard for the Rams, and make sure he knows uh, <laughs> what's, what's at stake or whatever and know, make sure the Rams know what they're doing. But think about who the Browns are going to be rooting for. They're going to be rooting for the Chiefs team that eliminated from the playoffs last year. Yep. Yeah. Chiefs team that beat them in a heartbreaker in Arrowhead in week one. And they're going to be rooting for old friend Odell Beckham Jr. and his Rams. <laughs> Pretty hilarious. <laughs> yeah, you could not script it any better. So to keep that Hollywood script going, I'm going to say that the Chiefs and the Rams – give the Browns the help they need and that Monday night in Pittsburgh is absolutely electric. Mm. That, that'll be quite something. We'll see what happens. Um, again, we'll have full coverage over at beaconjournal.com slash sports slash Browns. Nate, before we get out of here, uh, any thoughts on the passing of, of John Madden? Just uh, to me, he's one of the most important figures in the game's history. Um, Obviously, one of the best coaches ever, the highest winning percentage of any coach with 100 wins in the NFL. I think it's like 73%, uh, and he, he won 103 games, including a Super Bowl with the Raiders. Phenomenal color analyst uh, for CBS, Fox, NBC, um, particularly the, the team with him and Pat Summerall, at least for Nate and I, that was kind of like the soundtrack of our youth. And then, you know, the, the Madden video games taught really uh, multiple generations now about football. So massive loss to the game. Incredible, incredible uh, impact John Madden has had on, on football. Do you have any thoughts on, on John Madden? Yeah, just thinking about, like, what a legacy he built and, like, in so many different ways and for so many different generations, it's just amazing to think about. So like I, you know, the, the great hall of fame coach, like that was before my time, but him as a broadcaster, like you said, it it was a soundtrack to my, my, you know, youth and, and then the video games. I mean, I started playing the, the earliest Madden games on Sega and, like, I can't even tell you how many hours I spent with friends playing Madden games over the years, all throughout high yep. school. I mean, I haven't played them in a long time. I left off on, like, PlayStation 2, but <laughs> I love those <laughs> games. And, and like, there's so many bonding experiences that I have with friends playing those games and, and watching Madden call games. Like, it, it really is amazing, the impact that he had on the game. And, like, Marla, right in our... Um, you know, our, our great colleague, she talked to Terry Robisky, former Browns assistant and interim coach a while, you know, years ago, but we, we did post those stories, um, you know, from our archives, Robisky played for Madden and 
some of those stories are just phenomenal. Definitely worth checking out on the site. And I, I just can't understand or figure out how he had to wait so long to get in the Hall of Fame. Um, but he did, and I think it was 2006 when he was enshrined. Mm-hmm. Um, but just the, the the just the I mean, you if you if you did not if you built a a Mount Rushmore, which we like to talk about, and I know other people do, but if you mm-hmm. did for for football, for you know, and it wasn't just players, you know, you'd have to you'd have to give him strong consideration to being on it. I mean, what an amazing, amazing impact. So, yeah. It, and it's one of those things. It's like kind of took for granted, like, and then, you know, obviously the NFL sent an email. I'm eating dinner last night and I get the email announcing his passing. It's just like, you know, all these memories come flooding back and just, you know, how I've been involved with the game since, I was a kid, whether, you know, playing it growing up, covering it um, as a reporter. And, like, I, I've asked myself this question since I got that email last night. Like, I don't know if I'd be doing what I'd do if it weren't for John Madden. I think he was had that big of an impact and, and probably on, on so many people who, who may not even realize it. Yeah, I mean, just – you know, just playing the games, which I I was playing them on Sega as well. I think the first one I played was Madden '93 because I'm old. But um, yeah. just just the the pure understanding that those games gave you about football by you know picking plays where it's a 11 on 11, the the gameplay was optimal for whatever time it was when they came out, whether that was Sega or PlayStation 2 or now you know, the, the new consoles and whatnot, but it was, it was a fantastic way to learn the game of football um, and add, adding in his commentary and, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, everybody has a, a John Madden impersonation. We'll spare ours for, for the sake of everybody's ears, but um, yeah, just a, a huge loss for me. He's absolutely a, uh, a Hall of Fame in the world of football type of, of figure. Um, incredible, incredible legacy that, that he'll leave behind. So, Nate, anything else before we uh, check out this week? I don't think so, Dan. I think we've covered a lot of it, and I'm just, I'm like really eager to see how this plays out Sunday. And, if the Browns get the breaks they need, man, like I just Monday's gonna be like a playoff, like like it's gonna be a flashback to January 10th in Pittsburgh. It, it's gonna be unbelievable. So um, as crazy as this season's been and how the Browns have underachieved and disappointed, it's pretty cool here. We're coming right up on the new year that things are as interesting as they are. Yeah, absolutely. Against all odds, the Browns are still in this, and we will have coverage of whatever happens either way over at beaconjournal.com slash sports slash Browns. Nate will have it instantly on Twitter. He's at by Nate Ulrich. That is going to do it for cover two this week. Again, if you have not, check out USA Today Sports Plus. It's available on the Apple Store and the Google Play Store. A whole new look at sports. So, 
that's going to do it for our podcast this week. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we will talk to you next time.